0: Session
1: with Dr. Good afternoon, and welcome to In Session with Dr. Fadi Holakwi. I'm your host, Dr. Fadid Holakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in: three one zero four four one. Zero five five five, and I mentioned uh, suggesting topics for the program on Monday night. I posted um, a question on my Instagram, and a lot of people responded. So thank you for those suggestions. Of course, I couldn't do almost any of them on that first show, but I will keep them in mind for future shows. So thank you for those suggestions for topics uh, to talk about on the show. Uh, before I get started, want to again announce. The seminars for next week I'll be doing in Atlanta. So if you're in the Atlanta area, hope to see you there August 10th and August 12th. On Friday, August 10th, I'll be doing a seminar on dating and relationships from 7 to 10 p.m. And on Sunday, August 12th, I'll be doing two seminars. One from 2 to 5 p.m. on success. And the other one will be 6 to 9 p.m. on self-esteem and self-love. And all the seminars will be at the Persian Cultural Center of Atlanta. And tickets are available online at www.kanun.info. That's www.k-a-n-o-o-n.info. So if you're in the area, hope to see you there next weekend. And the book of the week again for this week is Why You Eat What You Eat, The Science Behind Our Relationship With Food by Rachel Hertz. I'll talk about that show next week and it'll be on Wednesday's show because on Monday night I'll be joined by neurologist Dr. Jonathan Morabian to talk about strokes and giving us some more information about how you might know if you or a loved one is having a stroke and what you can do in those cases. So he'll be joining me on Monday night's show. Okay, before I begin, or actually I guess now I am going to begin, I wanted to talk about something that comes up a lot on this show, which is setting goals and how to set the goals and what to do about them. But one aspect that's sometimes not mentioned when we talk about setting a goal is belief or hope. And this can sound strange to talk about belief when we're talking about goals, but what I mean is the belief that you can achieve the goal and the belief that the path you can set up will get you to your goal. So for example, if you want to learn a musical instrument, you have to believe that you can learn it. And you also have to believe that you can come up with a path or the goal um, has a path that you can create that will get you there. So if you believe you can get there, there's a much more better much better chance you will, but if you don't, you won't even try. And that's sometimes what happens to people is they're not even sure they can achieve the goal. So wanting it comes first, a lot of times you say, I wish this were true for me. I wish I achieved this goal. I wish I could do this. I wish I reached this milestone for myself. So you have to want it. But then another very important element is the genuine belief that you have. Because very often when people come up with a goal, they can get excited. But that excitement can follow be followed with doubt. This thought that, but can I actually do it? Or who am I thinking that I can actually achieve this? Is it even possible or is it even possible for me? Now, this doubt, of course, comes from lots of different places. One of them can be a lack of self-esteem, not believing in ourself, that we can do something, that we're good enough to do something. Even if we see other people doing it, we might think we're less than, so we can't do it. And then related to the self-esteem, there could be this feeling of, do I even deserve that goal? Or to achieve that and do I really want to get there or feel like I can get there, or if I get there, will it actually bring up anxiety of me thinking, do I deserve this? For example, if you want to reach a certain position at your job, you might actually be afraid to get there because of the anxiety that comes with getting to that position and many other reasons might keep you from even wanting or having that goal become a reality. So the doubt can come in very quickly for many people especially the doubt can come in when it's a goal you've tried many times before for example quitting smoking or losing weight or starting a new program of reading or studying you can tell yourself okay starting tomorrow I'm going to want to study three hours a day but if you've had 10 other times where you've tried to do that and you weren't able to maintain that we can understand that at some level some doubt will be there too some feeling of wait, who am I kidding? Can I actually do this? And so we have to deal with this doubt and make sure we don't give in to that doubt. Yes, there's going to be some doubt. There's no guarantee you're going to achieve any goal, but you have to have the belief that you can do it. And you have to have the belief that if you follow certain guidelines or if you follow a certain um, pattern, you will get to that goal. That has to be there. So let's say it comes to playing a musical instrument. You have to believe that you can learn it. And something that also gets in the way here is this idea of talent or this idea of innate ability. And many times we think, well, to play an instrument, you have to have an innate ability. And there's some truth to that. But really it's more that if you want to become maybe the best at some instrument, some innate ability probably will be necessary. But to just learn how to play it, it really doesn't matter if you have innate ability or not. Maybe it'll be slightly challenging if you don't have, let's say, a musical talent or you're not very musical. But I think really anyone can learn to play a musical instrument. I really do think that's true. So we have to sometimes get rid of this idea that the talent is more important than hard work. I actually really think talent is very overrated. If you look at people that have become successful in various fields it's not just some talent that made them get there. It's hard work that's made them get to that place. It doesn't, talent is not enough. Talent will never be enough. But hard work can very often overcome uh, any gaps in talent that might be there. If you work harder than people around you, you're very likely going to get farther than they get, even if you feel like they have better talent than you do. Uh, Greg Popovich, who is a, Very one of the, I think, maybe the best basketball coach of all time, or definitely one of the best. I've heard him say before, don't let them play smarter or harder than you. So don't make stupid mistakes and also don't let them play harder than you because that's always in your control. How much you put effort in, if you miss a few shots here and there, that's going to happen, but how hard you play, you always are going to have control over that. So if you play harder than others, or if when we just want to make it about ourselves, if you work the hardest that you can, you can achieve amazing things. So we have to take away this idea of talent, that talent is what's going to uh, make you successful. It's not really about talent, it's about hard work, and you have to believe that. And this is related to the idea of mindset, the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset in the book by Carol Dweck. This idea that many times we think it's just about you either have it or you don't. You're smart and you do well in school or you're stupid and you won't get good grades, which doesn't at all pan out in reality. We see that people who study hard do well and people who don't study hard won't do well in the long run. So it's not about if you have it or not, but many people have the fixed mindset and they feel like you either have it or you don't. But we know this is not true. So we have to re- recognize the growth mindset is much more realistic and also much more likely to help us be successful in all the various aspects of our life. It's not just you have it or you don't, it's, I have to work hard to get it. And if I work hard enough, I will get it. Another thing that can get in the way of people having that belief or maintaining the belief, because most of the goals that we're talking about here take weeks and months and maybe even years to achieve. So you can't just have the belief for some moments and that's enough. Or you can't just have the belief at the outset and think that's going to be enough to carry you through. You need to maintain that belief. And the achievement of almost any significant goal, the progress is not linear. And by that, I mean, it's not that every day you will literally get closer to your goal, because you usually have some ups and downs. For example, if you're losing weight, you're going to hit some plateaus, that might last some time It might confuse you and might dishearten you to not want to try anymore. If you're trying to learn a musical instrument, you might feel like you're getting stuck. Like, okay, this is as far as I can get, it feels like, because for the last two weeks, I feel like I'm not getting any better. Or maybe even sometimes you feel like you're getting worse. Things like that can happen. And when we hit these walls, it's very easy to think either this is it, this is as far as I can go, or who was I kidding to think that I could achieve this goal and get all the way to the end and this is probably a good time for me to stop or give up because there's no point we lose that hope we lose that belief that doing the things that we thought were the right things will get us to that goal but we have to recognize that this is just an obstacle this is going to be part of any goal you achieve anyone who's tried to get good at anything anyone who's tried to achieve any big goal has hit these types of obstacles Almost never do you have a goal that you just get to smoothly every day, closer and closer and closer. You know, we can sometimes think of goals as, for example, traveling a distance. And yes, if you're just walking from here to across the street, every step you take, you get closer and it's very simple. But goals in real life don't pan out that way. You're going to have setbacks. You're going to have periods where you go backwards or don't go forwards at all. And... That doesn't mean you have to give up on the goal completely, but recognize that this is part of the bigger picture process of getting to that goal. So we also have to make sure we don't give up hope, we don't give up belief when we hit a wall. We have to make sure we don't let ourselves give up at that point and recognize it's not because we can't do it, it's because this is part of the process, this is how things go. And of course, if you hit a wall, it doesn't mean don't look at anything and see what's going on. We always have to reevaluate what we're doing to achieve our goal. Is there something missing? Is there something we're doing that's hurting us? Are we not doing enough? So we get to revisit things. It's kind of like when, um, if you've heard the analogy of how a plane flies from, let's say, New York to LA, it sets out in a certain direction, but it's constantly recalibrating itself and adjusting itself to make sure it's on the right path. It doesn't just go on one path and not have to think about it anymore. They constantly have to readjust to make sure it's going in the right direction. So we often have to do that with our goals too. You might do something that works for a while, but maybe it's not enough anymore. And to get to a next level, you have to step it up and do a little bit more. So we constantly have to reevaluate, readjust, see what we can do to get there. But we have to have the mindset of belief that I can get there. This goal is achievable and it is achievable by me. And something I mentioned before that can really have a big part of this uh, issue of belief that I think is very important is that many times when it's a significant goal for someone, it's something they've tried many times before. And this is probably the biggest thing that can create doubt is this idea of, well, I've tried it a hundred times. I've tried it 50 times. I've tried it 200 times. Does that mean I can do it? Maybe I just can't do it. But just because you failed at something, or if you've not achieved it, maybe we shouldn't use the word fail there. You haven't achieved a goal when you've tried a certain number of times. It doesn't mean you can't achieve it that next time. Many people who've achieved great things, it almost always was not on their first try. Even Thomas Edison was famous to say that when he was inventing the light bulb, he didn't say, I failed 10,000 times. He found 10,000 ways that didn't work, and then he was able to invent it. So he didn't see those as failures, but as parts of his process of actually learning and going through the process and to achieve his goal. So don't give up on yourself if you've tried something so many times and think maybe it's just not possible, whether that's quitting smoking or drinking or some kind of drug, um, losing weight, getting in shape, reading more, meditating more, whatever that goal might be. Don't think that because you failed 99 times to hundredth time can't be the one where you actually get it right. And give yourself that chance to try again. And that's all you can do is try again. Learn from those previous experiences what you can. But don't learn from them that because I didn't get there, that means I can't get there. Just learn that those times I didn't get there, I can see what I did right and wrong and learn from it and try again. But you have to believe in yourself and you have to believe that the goal is attainable. And hopefully give yourself and achieve that goal that you deserve. All right, we've reached our first commercial break studio number three one zero four four one zero five 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 you're listening to in session with dr fatty delocque we'll be right back welcome back um through instagram i got uh like i said many suggestions for topics to talk about on the show and one of them was about communicating in relationships which of course is a huge topic that i could probably do a whole show talking about that but there's one aspect of it uh that i wanted to talk about today uh, and that is being open with one another now of course it's very easy when you've heard it a hundred times before it's important to be open and to be honest and to show your true self. And I've talked about being vulnerable before and how important that is. And, and all of those things are incredibly true. It's very important to have that. And you need that in order to have a healthy relationship and a close relationship. Those, that's going to happen. And related to that, sometimes people don't use the right measurements uh, and I don't mean this by actual like tools, but just in thinking about their relationship, they don't think of things in the right way when they're assessing their relationship. And let me explain what I mean. Sometimes people think that the sign of a good relationship, or really the true marker of a good relationship, is one where they don't fight. So they think, well, you know, we don't fight, so everything's okay. Especially you'll see this in families where husband and wife have become distant from each other, and they think, well, as long as we don't fight... The kids are okay it's not going to affect the kids in a negative way they never see us fight or we don't fight and sometimes it's because they're just so distant from each other they have nothing to fight about anymore Um, if they think that's a good sign and yes if you're fighting a lot and the fights are ugly that is a sign of a bad relationship or a very bad sign in the relationship but just not fighting itself is not a good sign necessarily And by fighting, I don't mean it has to get ugly. I mean that you're having arguments and you're having discussions about things. So if we measure a relationship based on the fact that we don't fight, we're going to miss out on the point that what's very important is that we're being open and communicating with one another also, which is needed, which means that you need to have those types of discussions. So it's not about if you fight it's about how you fight that's important you need to have those discussions but when it comes to being open to one another sometimes people have a hard time with this or very often they do and there's lots of reasons for that i've noticed in some relationships there's this feeling of i should never say something that hurts my partner or not even just hurts my partner something that they don't like we come from that mindset which many people have in general by being conflict avoidant and becoming passive because they don't want to let someone get upset by something they said and they think I'm supposed to never hurt my partner and this creates almost using a Persian term of taruf in the relationship this idea of I'm not going to really say what's on my mind because you might not like it and you're not going to say what's on your mind because I might not like it and so we just maintain this level of politeness in the relationship I'm going to keep most things to myself, you're going to keep most things to yourself, and everything remains peaceful. And this can seem okay, because it seems like, okay, well, we're not getting into it, we're not bothering each other or fighting. But this, again, is not a good indicator of a strong relationship. Because with that politeness, that feeling that I'm going to hold things back, you're going to hold things back, we're also creating a great distance between each other. We're not able to really connect with one another when we're holding so much back. And let me make it very clear. When I say politeness in this negative way, I don't mean that it's not good to be kind and polite to your partner. And if always, you should try to think of what's the kindest way you can express things to one another, not even just with your partner, but in general. So we do have to be mindful of that. Um, Sometimes when we talk about being polite in this negative way, we think that if you're being abrasive, somehow there's some good in that. So if you say things in a harsh way, there's nothing wrong with that because being too polite is bad. Now you should choose your words carefully with your partner. If you know it's a sensitive topic for your partner, be aware of that. Um, Say things in a loving way, you should always be aware of that. So the opposite of this, that saying things to hurt your partner intentionally, of course, That's not good either. But very often some people think, well, I'm being such a good husband, a good wife, because I never say something my partner doesn't like. Or if something comes to my mind, if I'm upset about something, I don't share it with them. And that means I'm being a good partner to them because I never say something they don't like. And this is not true because you need that connection to build strength. You need that openness to create a strong relationship. Without connection, you can't have a strong relationship. You can be two friends in in a very surface level, but there can't be a deep connection. So we have to be willing to risk saying things that upset our partner. We have to be willing to say something that feels uncomfortable for us. And that might not feel so good to them when it's something that we feel and we think. And I've cited this research before. Uh, very often you'll hear classic marriage advice of pick your battles meaning that a lot of times when something bothers you or makes you upset, just don't bring it up. Just keep it to yourself. And only the things that really matter, big things, bring them up. Other things put them away. And this sounds like pretty good advice, but the research finds that this is not the case. What actually is true is that those couples that are very healthy and happily married and have a strong relationship, their threshold for bringing things up to one another is a lot lower Than those couples that aren't doing so well so what they do is they bring things up regularly and often not in a negative way they don't try to make it into a fight they don't attack the other person but they'll bring things up they don't hold things in and pick their battles they say you know what this actually bothered me can we talk about it and they're able to work it out pretty well but they don't hold things in so we shouldn't think that i'm being a good partner because i hold everything in i don't let them know i'm upset that's not going to be good for you or the relationship. You have to bring things up. So picking your battles doesn't really work. Now, of course, this doesn't mean make everything a war either, but it means that let your partner know how you're feeling and what's going on. And so someone might say, how how can I bring myself to say something that hurts my partner or that they might not like to hear? And so this comes back to this idea of The only thing that matters is feeling good in the moment, which a lot of us hold on to, whether it's our own experience, our partner's experience, or even with our kids. If my kid is sad, I have to do anything to just remove the sadness no matter what. Even if that means taking away consequences that they should face to actually see what's happening in reality, getting them to learn a lesson about what happened, we have to just remove the sadness. But this is not how we want to live our lives. We have to be in a healthy relationship with reality and how the world works. And we want to really be able to know one another. And the only way to do that is to be open with each other. And so when people are very passive and you tell them to become more assertive, they have this negative feeling of now I say things that my partner doesn't like, and they almost can be upset with you. Look how bad this is. But what I try to explain is when you are saying that thing that your partner doesn't like, Your point isn't to say, I'm saying this to hurt you. Your point is, I'm sharing this because I value you and our relationship so much that I don't want to keep things in, that I want us to communicate and talk about things. So it has nothing to do with hurting you as being the intention. If that's the intention, then yes, you're coming from the wrong place if you just want to insult your partner or put them down. That's a huge problem. But if your intention is... I want to talk to you about this because it's on my mind and it's bothering me and I value so much you and our relationship and I want it to be the best that it can be so that's why I'm bringing it up. That's a very different intention and that's actually a very good intention and to me is a much better intention than I'm upset but I'm going to hold on to this because it might make my partner feel uncomfortable. They might not like it. That's not really what's going to uh, help. Um, it just this just popped into my head. It might seem very unrelated, but I'll just share it anyway. I've been having some lower back pain, and I've had it through a few times in exercising that I've pulled the muscle, and it was getting very tight to the point where I was feeling uncomfortable, and that it might, you know, either get pulled or get injured again. So I got a massage last night, and the masseuse was very kind, and but was putting a lot of pressure, and it was hurting a lot. I was in a lot of pain. Some of it, and she kept saying, I'm sorry. And I kept telling her, No, it's okay. And she knew it was going to be helpful um, to help me feel better afterwards and to prevent this injury. But she did say sorry a few times. And it made me think of this type of an analogy that, yes, in the moment it was hurtful and didn't feel good, but it was something that I knew would be better for my overall well being and health. So I wanted that, even if it was painful in the moment. So in the moment, if I was not in. inflicting or she was not inflicting that pain on me, it would have maybe seemed nicer in that moment, but might've contributed to a potential injury in the long run. So it would have hurt me more in the long run. And this is what we're doing in those moments when we have those talks. It's not comfortable. It doesn't feel good, but it's to release some things that are not good in the relationship to create a stronger bond and to prevent further injury or further damage in the relationship. So again, we have to check in our intention. This is with everything that we do. Even why am I being nice to this person right now? Why am I giving this gift? Why am I saying this? Why am I saying that? This is why we don't want to just stop at the what of what we're doing. We want to understand the why, but if we're with our partner and the why is, you know what, I want to talk to them because this is bothering me. And I want to get closer to my partner. That's a good reason. And so we have to recognize that saying something that upsets our partner doesn't mean we're being a bad husband or a wife it actually can mean that we're being a very good husband and wife because we want what's best for our relationship. We want to talk about things. So you and your partner need to talk about this. If you feel this is the case for you, that you're holding things back and you've created this culture of kindness in your relationship where you feel that, you know what, we shouldn't say things that upset each other. You keep on to hold on to your feelings, I'll hold on to mine. You hold on to your grievances, I'll hold on to mine. And we very often have these relationships, and we think it's because we're being nice. And I talked a few weeks ago about how this word nice, I think actually, even though it has a very positive connotation, the way it actually plays out in our lives is very negative. It usually means acting kind just to kind of avoid conflict or look good or to keep some kind of comfort. That's usually what nice is. Well, you know, I didn't want to say it because I wanted to be nice. Well, that's not really being good or kind to the person if you're in a relationship actually you should hope that your partner is being open with you because what happens in those relationships where everyone is holding things in is that people play a game called mind reader because you don't know what's going on in your partner's mind because they don't tell you so you have to try to guess and then when you have partners like this start to communicate you hear a lot of the mind reading come out. They say, well, I thought she was upset because I asked her and she looked this way and walked away. So I'm assuming she was upset. So then I did this. And the other person says, no, actually, I wasn't even upset at all. I was just kind of tired. I say, oh, okay. Or the other person says, well, I, I know you don't like this because it seems like you never want to do it. And it's like, no, actually, I really like doing that thing that we we go out to the movies on Saturdays or whatever it might be. So you start doing a lot of mind reading and you start to try to predict what's going on in their head or or interpret what's happening because you don't know what's going on. And also you start to hold on to resentments as do your partner because you don't know what's bothering one another and you're holding it in instead of letting it out. So you don't need to play mind reader, but we both have to play a part in communicating and saying, you know what, let's talk about what's going on for us. Let me let you know what's going on instead of you having to guess. And it actually reduces a lot of anxiety when that's the case. Because I know that if something's going on for you, you'll let me know. I don't have to try to guess or figure it out. I don't have to play detective inside of my own house of trying to figure out what's going on in your mind. Because you'll let me know. And that way I can actually feel comfortable that when you tell me you're happy and feeling good, you genuinely are happy or feeling good. Because if you're not, you'll let me know. But if we're always pretending like we're happy and okay and not upset, you never really know what's going on. And you never have that feeling of calm and stability in the relationship that I really know my partner is okay and that I'm not doing something that bothers him or her regularly or didn't say something they didn't like because I know they will let me know. So that openness, yes, you're going to have more instances of conflict and discomfort, but overall you'll have a much more feeling of calm security within the relationship because you'll feel like you know what's going on for your partner and what's not going on, what you're doing, they like and don't like that openness has to be there. And yes, it's, it's a risk. It can be very uncomfortable for most of us to experience that openness and that vulnerability, but we have to see the great value that it brings to the relationship and understand that it's really the only way we can create a strong relationship. So when you bring something up that might hurt your partner, remember, it's not because you want to hurt your partner. It's that you value the strength of the relationship. You value the relationship and your partner even more than some momentary discomfort. That's your intention. And you can even communicate that to your partner so that they know. I'm not saying this to bother you. I'm saying this because I love you. I want us to talk about it. Bringing an issue up is not a negative or bad thing. It can actually be the best thing you can do to show your love to your partner and the love you have for the relationship you've created together. All right, we've reached our next commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dolokwi. We'll be right back. Back studio number 3104410555. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hi. Yes, hi. Thanks for calling. Excuse
0: me, what did you
1: say? I said thanks for calling. Um, You're welcome. Yeah, um, go ahead. We're on the air.
0: Okay, so I am having some
1: trouble choosing my high school. Okay. Okay, I think we lost the caller there. <laughs> Maybe they'll call back. I'm not sure. Okay. Um, so I guess I can continue the conversation I was having before the break about communication in relationships because uh, it is such a big topic and a few people asked about it on the Instagram page. Let me see if this is the caller. Uh, maybe Ramon can check if it is. I don't want to uh, make them not have to wait anymore, make them wait anymore. Is it the same caller? No. Okay. Um, so we're talking about communication in a relationship. As I was talking about before the break, very often people have the mindset that if they are somehow uh, saying something that their partner doesn't like, that they're doing a bad thing. and. This is a notion we have to get rid of. We have to understand that there's going to be that discomfort in communication when you are being open with one another. This is something we have to be ready for. And not only do we have to think about that when it comes to communication, but just a relationship in general. Because very often when people are dating and getting to know someone, they have this idea of love and what it should be like and feel like that makes it seem that it should be like a fairy tale, happily ever after. That it's going to be simple and easy and not have any pains or discomforts um, that come along with it. And this can be very damaging because what happens is when they start to date someone, they start to at the beginning feel very good, but over time they can start to feel really annoyed by certain things and think this is an indication that they are not supposed to be with this person. Sometimes people call this the Seinfeld effect. If anyone who watched the show Seinfeld, he would start to date women, but after a very short amount of time, he would find something he didn't like about them and end the relationship before it got too serious. And sometimes people think, oh, it's because I'm too picky. That's why I am this way. That's why I don't find someone. And when it comes to love, it's important to be picky to a degree. Picky in the way of how the person treats you and about really important things in the relationship or about the person you are looking for. You can have a few things that you're very picky about, but when you start to find that the reason why you're ending relationships or ending things before they even turn into relationships is because of little things that make you feel uncomfortable or that you don't like. This is more than likely not coming from the fact that you're just picky and you have high standards, but more because you are afraid to get close to someone or there's something about being in a relationship, whether it's committing, being intimate, um, being hurt by someone, a combination of all these things. Something is holding you back from going forward in that relationship. And this is where this issue of comfort versus discomfort comes up again and why I think many people are staying single longer now. Um, Of course, things have changed. The dynamics of people's lives and when people get married has changed. So it's not the only reason. But the biggest thing that's changed when it comes to marriage, if we look from a few generations before to now, is the fact that marriage is much more a choice than it used to be. 60 years ago, 100 years ago, you essentially had to get married. There wasn't really any other way around it. It was completely expected and to a large degree necessary to survive for the woman because women were not allowed to provide for themselves. They needed someone to take care of them and for the man to have a family, they needed the woman and that was kind of the unspoken or spoken contract that was created. So up until recently, marriage wasn't much of a choice whether or not you got married. It really was the only way to survive. It was necessary. It was more of a dependency than a choice. But now we have that choice and that's what we see in today's generation. It's much more of a choice than it used to be and I think that's part of why people aren't getting married. Now it is a choice and someone has to really think, do I want to do this? They shouldn't just do this because it is social convention and is expected for them to do that, as many people unfortunately still do. They should get married if they want to be married, if they want to be a partner, if they want to be close to someone, make them a priority in their lives and even rearrange things in their lives at times for that person. And of course, for creating a family, if that's what they decide to do, which is itself another decision. You don't have to do that either. But this choice is there. And what I think you see a lot of is, okay, even people who maybe want to get married, what they feel is that they're very comfortable in their single life. There's a lot more comfort there and a lot less discomfort and anxiety that when it comes to dating and being in a relationship, and they're choosing comfort over reaching really their ultimate goal or what they might want for their life long-term. They're taking, in a way, the easy way out. They're doing okay. They're working and they're making money and they're having their fun, but something seems to be missing. And you see that with a lot of the younger generation in their 20s and 30s who are living these types of lives, they feel like something is missing, but they are not willing to take the steps to give it to themselves because they're getting very comfortable in the life of being single. So we have to recognize that to be in a relationship means you're going to face some discomforts that you don't face when you are alone. Even we're seeing some trends developing in various countries, even, um, because of things like artificial intelligence. And even things like you know sex robots that are even being developed, or ways that people can be in relationships with a robot that are much safer than being in a relationship with an actual person. We're seeing that some people are avoiding relationships with human beings because they're choosing these relationships. And they'll say it's it's so much easier. I don't have to worry about letting the person down or them being disappointed or hurting them, or they saying something hurtful to me? It really, in a way, simplifies things in that way. But of course it completely lacks the intimacy and connection you're going to have with a human being. So they're giving up a lot too, but they're choosing to be more comfortable. This hurts less, this is less risky, this feels less messy. This feels less uncomfortable in so many ways. I'm going to choose that. So they're choosing comfort over giving themselves what they ultimately want and need, or that something that is better. And this is where we find ourselves. A lot of people are choosing comfort over really being in a relationship. So you have to ask yourself first, what do you want? And if you really want to be with someone, imagine what it's going to be like to really be with someone. And hold on to that excitement and that drive as i was talking about in the first segment when you have a goal you have to have that belief and you have to want it you have to have both of those things and you want to hold on to that desire how will it feel to be with someone but then we also have to be realistic and recognize that a relationship is going to have these ups and downs these things that come with it um, just using let's say analogy there's so many that would work here but if you don't work and you want to have a job Well, once you start to have a job, you have to wake up maybe earlier than you'd like to. You go there and have deadlines and stress and you have, you know, someone, uh, there's drama in the office, things you have with your boss and all these things that come with having a job. Now, if you were not working and at home every day, you wouldn't have to deal with any of those stresses. So if you chose just comfort, you would say, well, there's no point to work. Let me just stay home and not do that anymore because I don't want to deal with these stresses. But when you accept that, yes, when you work, you have to wake up maybe earlier than you want to. You have to, sometimes you'll be tired, but you have to work. You'll deal with people you maybe don't like. There'll be parts of your job you don't like. You have to deal with stresses of various kinds and you accept this as working. Then you say, yes, I'll take this all together. I'll take the whole package. It comes with some stress and some things I don't like, but overall I value having a job and For obviously most people, it's not just a choice. They kind of need a job. So that's what makes them do it ultimately, but they take on the whole thing and they would rather work than not work, which is really the truth for any human being. They want to be productive and do something that makes them feel productive and feels good rather than do nothing. But it's not that jobs come without any stress or pains or discomforts. So the same is true of a relationship. There is no such thing as a perfectly comfortable relationship, a conflict free relationship. A relationship that won't bring out some intense feelings in you if you get close enough, or a relationship that's not going to make you feel even sad or upset sometimes. But if you value what you get from being with someone, from being in a long term committed relationship to having a partner, having that companionship, having that closeness, then you say, Yes, I'm going to accept this whole package altogether. I'll take the stresses and the pains that come along with this goodness, just like you say, in sickness and in health, when you're doing the marriage vows, you're saying, of course, that no matter what happens to us, we'll stick together, but also in a way you're accepting that there's going to be challenges in the relationship. It isn't just all smooth sailing and happily ever after every single day. It's going to have its challenges. So if you are someone who's single and you find yourself in this pattern of not even creating relationships and not even starting something that could turn into a long-term relationship, you have to ask yourself what's going on. And very often you'll see that it's this avoidance of the discomfort that we have. So if you go on a few dates and you always tend to find something you don't like, or you have these really short-term relationships, it's not necessarily because those people are the wrong people. It could be that you're afraid to get into that relationship. You're afraid to actually get close to someone. And yes, of course, sometimes the person is the wrong person. So I'm not saying always ignore those signs and the things that you feel, but really you have to think about what it is you are getting annoyed by or frustrated by. Is it really something you can't live with and something that the partner has that you don't want? Or is it your avoidance of being close to someone? Because again, no matter who you date you're going to be with, you're going to have some issues. Um, I forgot who said this quote, but they basically said, when you choose a partner, you're essentially choosing a set of problems, meaning that whoever you're with, you're going to have some issues with that person. Your issues with someone else might be different than this one. So you might say, oh, if I was with so-and-so, I wouldn't have this issue about them always being late. But yeah, but with that person, you'd have some other issue. So there's always going to be something there. So we have to have that realistic approach that relationships are always going to have some pains some discomfort some things we don't like about what's going on and some things we don't even like about the person that's okay that has to be there but that's going to be what it takes to be in a relationship and that's what every relationship is going to be but if we tell ourselves, i'm just waiting for that perfect person well that perfect person doesn't exist because nobody's perfect everyone is going to have some issues so here we see that the fear of intimacy is what's driving people away from relationships and in a relation to that is this idea or this unrealistic ideal of a relationship that it should never make me feel bad because that's what happens people go on a few dates and they think you know what just sitting on my couch and watching netflix is so much easier than this you know nothing happens there all i do is let the show end and the next one starts and i just keep watching and that feels kind of comfortable here talking to this person not sure how they feel about me not sure how i feel about them they said something i'm not sure i liked i said something i don't know how she felt about it or he felt about it this is really kind of doesn't feel so good but we have to recognize that again comfort is not the goal your goal is not just to be comfortable your goal is to have certain things that you achieve or have in your life which will almost always require that you become uncomfortable so we have to accept the messiness. Accept the pains, except the, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what I feel. I don't know if this is right. I don't know if this is wrong. All those things are going to happen in the course of any human relationship, but even more so in the course of a romantic relationship. And we can't allow the, that anxiety to push us away towards the comfort. We have to accept that anxiety as part of the process. And many people date for a while and they get discouraged. And we have to just accept this as part of the process. You date people, it's most of the time not going to work out you're not going to probably marry the person you're going on your next date with just the odds would say that but if you want that you have to keep trying you have to keep going and we have to have a realistic approach that it's going to be a little messy at times but hopefully for us it'll be worth achieving that goal all right we've reached our next commercial break studio number 310 555 you're listening to in session with dr fatty we'll be right back studio number three one zero four four one zero five 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 let's go to a caller radio Hamra, you're on the air
0: hello
1: hi hi thanks for calling okay good we got you back on
0: yeah
1: good okay so go ahead what's your question
0: um so i'm soon gonna start in uh eighth grade and i'm having some trouble choosing what school i'm gonna go to in the first one, there's a bigger chance of having a social network, uh-huh. which I can then work on in the future. Uh-huh. And, and But it's not that good of an education. While in the other one, it's the other way around, where they have a better education, but not as good social network. And by
1: social network, do you mean you already know kids at the other
2: school?
0: Well, um, in the one with the worst social network, uh-huh. uh, it's an international school. So it's kind of like... I'm not going to meet the people as much. Well, in the other one, it's a school for the country where I can make more friends that I can then work on and that can help me in the future.
1: Okay. And so, but the other school, the first one that you said academically is not as strong, do you know anyone at that school?
0: Yeah, I know a lot of people, but then... It's an international school, so most of the people who go there are then going to leave and go to another country, and we're going to lose the Mm.
2: connection.
0: Oh, you're saying
1: afterwards there won't be. Okay, okay. And then is this also an issue that are you and your parents on the same page, or do you want one of the schools and your parents want another one?
0: Well, I wanted to choose the international one, Mm -hmm. while my parents are mostly for having a social network.
1: I see. Okay.
0: So we're not on the same page.
1: You're not on the same page. Okay, I would have actually guessed, a lot of times I work with families and it's the other way around. Like the parents want the kid to go to the more academically rigorous school and the kid wants to go to the school that they have more friends at. But it seems like in this case it's almost the opposite. You want to go to the one that's academically better. Do you feel like at that school you'll be socially okay? Well,
0: I've already gone there for some years now. So I've already been there before and I know some people when I started there. So, yeah, I'm pretty much okay, but I'm just saying in the other school, there's way more people, and, like, it kind of makes a way for you to have help in the future.
1: Yeah, I mean, and I don't know, I know you're saying the kids leave afterwards, but when we talk about a social network, you don't need to have a hundred friends, you know, that's not even really... Going to be real friendships you need a few close friendships so I wouldn't say necessarily because there's more kids at the other school it has to be better unless like there's no kids here but it seems like there's at least some um, are your parents afraid of you're gonna get close to these friends and then they move away and you'll be sad when they move
0: no the point is that like for example when I'm looking for a job when I'm older I can like ask one of the people asked, because I have a social network I can ask one of my friends Maybe, like, they could
1: talk to their boss and somehow get me in there or something like that. Okay. I, I guess. you're And your, you're going into eighth grade? Yes. And we're planning your, your job interviews in, like, ten years from now, right now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. It just seems like it might be, you know, I'm not saying I don't know which one is going to be the right choice, but I don't know if that would be the right reason. And I still don't. So it's said the people that you'll go to school with will still live in your country and then you can maybe rely on them for connections and favors in the future
0: yeah
1: okay do you have any idea what you even you want to study at this point what what kind of career you would want
0: no not really I would I think maybe I really like science okay. and maybe you want to become a doctor or a scientist
1: or something like that okay I mean because my feeling is, especially, I mean, if you go become a doctor, you don't need to have connections. Like, you know, you'll you'll be able to find a job. So I'm not really worried about that part of it. I think you can achieve and, and find a career for yourself. So I'm still trying to get what the fear is of you going to the international school or their concern, especially because you're saying you would prefer the international school. Yes. Okay. Well,
0: I think their concern is that maybe because I also think I have an engineering job I don't know they just feel like it's important for me to have a network and that I have because like the friends I could get at the other school could really mean a lot one of them could become like a really important person one day and that I could like make money of that
1: okay or
0: I could bring myself up on
1: the hierarchy i i guess but i I feel like well you yourself can become a very important person i don't know if you need someone else to make it and then you're going to kind of ride their coattails the way it sounds it just seems like a very um i I know friends do give us that you know we have connections and all that but it almost seems like you make friendships because they're going to give you something later on or they're gonna it's gonna have some benefit for you down the line Whereas I want you to have friends right now so you enjoy their friendship right now, not because of some future value they're going to have or add to your life.
0: Yeah, I guess that's also their concern because right now I don't really go out with friends either. I mostly just sit at home, do some homework, watch a movie, and then go to sleep. Okay. While I can like see other people on social networks and I can see that they're going out with friends and watching movies and things like that. mm
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, so maybe that's something worth talking about. Are you the only child in the family? Yeah. Okay, I kind of just got the feeling based on how you were talking and how they were talking about you. Um, and in a way, it could relate to something I talked about. I don't know if you were listening in the previous segment about people sometimes feeling more comfortable alone or choosing to be alone over being around people. Do you have? Do you get nervous or uncomfortable around groups of people or being in social settings?
0: No, but it kind of depends on who it is because mm-hmm. some people could be rude, and that uh, would make me kind of shrimp myself.
1: Sure. Okay. So they're rude to you?
0: Well, if they're my friends and I'm enjoying, I, w- I would have a lot of fun. But you know, there's always a chance of people not bringing you into the conversation, and sometimes you don't know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. But usually, I have a lot of fun around people.
1: Okay, but what you just described sounds like sometimes you feel left out?
0: Well, not with everyone, but with the people who decide to be rude. But I have a lot of friends at the other school too, and with those I would enjoy.
1: Okay, so I'm still trying, you know, sometimes it gets confusing which school. So when you say the other school, you mean the non-international school?
0: Uh, Well, I have friends at both schools, yes. And I go to football with the people from the non-international school, mm-hmm. so I know a lot of them.
1: Okay. So that can be good. So, I mean, what makes you want to go to the
0: international school? Well, most the education, for one. And I also do have a lot of fun with the people there, and we play football at the school. And we have fun, but it's just the point that... First of all, they're going to move away soon, and I could lose all our friends. And also the fact that I don't really bring anyone home because they have stricter
1: parents. Mm. Okay, so that's also an issue of making friends is the you feel like the parents are more strict, so it's harder to build relationships? Yes. Okay. Well, I mean,
0: like, they're not allowed to
1: come to your home. Oh, ah, okay. Are you allowed to go to their home?
0: Well, yes, I would if their parents would allow
1: Okay, so the parents also don't allow people to come over. Yeah. Okay, so I can see how it's harder to build friendships in that way. When you said on social media you see people hanging out, was that at the, the non-international school? Yes. Okay, alright, so maybe it seems like socially just overall people aren't as social at the school, which is a little, sounds a little bit strange to me the way you're describing it, that people are just not spending time together outside of school at the international school, but... Maybe that is the case. I mean, to me, I I usually think the child should pick where they're going within limits. Not always, but I give more of the weight in what the child wants. But it's worth talking about. Have Have you and your I'm assuming you and your parents have had conversations about this. Well,
0: sorry, what did you say? I was
1: saying you and your parents have probably talked about this deciding where to go to school, right? Yeah, okay, yeah. so where does it stand right now? What's the decision? Have you decided where you're gonna go or it's still being figured out?
0: Right now right now I'm choosing the academic school because, like last year we were four girls in the class, which was also a problem when I get to social setting. So there are coming some a few more girls and I was thinking maybe that could get better mm-hmm. for me. Mhm. And then I will get more social there and also have the better education.
1: Okay. Okay, so you want to try that school for eighth grade? I mean, and if I would say pick the school you want to go to, and the good thing is you still have another year before high school, the year after, right? Sorry, what did
0: you say? I was
1: saying you have another year before high school, which is ninth grade. In
0: in my country, we start high school oh, in okay. eighth grade, but at the international school, we started in sixth grade, so I already had like the taste of you know high school. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Well, like I said, I, yeah, social, you know, I think we do want to pay attention to the social part, whether it's whatever school you go to, it does seem like there, it is lacking a bit in your life. Do you feel like you'd like to have more of a social life or you like the way it is?
0: I really, it's kind of like I'm fine, but it would also be good if I could have some friends
1: sometimes. Mm hmm. Okay. And, and maybe you're kind of just used to it kind of being the only kid in your family being, not being that social might be something you're used to, but you realize that it could be good to be more social. But that that's my bigger concern, whatever school you go to, like looking at your social life, and even for yourself, putting more, a bit more time into that, it's great that you value academics so much. That's, that's good. And that's definitely something to maintain. But i hope you can balance that with the social life too to make sure you're getting enough in that way and again not because i want you to have friends so that in 10 years they can maybe help you get a job or help you achieve some kind of status i want you to have friends for right now so you can enjoy them right now yeah so that's something i would think about um and you know really pay attention to in general how is your social life are you having friendships? Are you spending time with friends outside of school, whether it's playing football or playing other things or going out, but making sure you do that no matter what. And I hope your parents at the end of the day will let you make the decision more than them making the decision. Yeah. Yeah. Is there any, I don't know if, I don't know if I necessarily answered your question, but I'm wondering what else you had in mind or if you had any other questions related to it.
0: not really that
1: was you answered my question thank you very much okay well good luck like you know whatever it is you decide to do good luck and like i said either either school you go to a lot more of it to me will be the experience you make out of it so it's not just well if you go to one school things will be good if you go to one other school you'll have a bad experience it's going to be what you make of the experience socially academically in all those aspects so I I would make the best decision and then make the best of that decision with what you do going forward and especially in your case making sure you balance the social part and make sure that's happening in your life and then I'm sure academically seems like you're doing fine and and just keep on going with that
0: okay thank you
1: all right nice talking you have a good day goodbye bye all right let's go to another caller Radio Hamra you're on the air Hello. Hi, Doctor. Ah, uh, yes. Thanks for calling.
2: Yeah, no problem. I uh, briefly mentioned like what I was going through, so I would like to explain it again. And if there's anything I can do to oh. make the situation better for myself,
1: okay. Yeah, I know we we talked for just a second off. Uh, that was off the line, so now we're on the air. So, um, yeah. what is going on? Let me know.
2: Okay. Two days ago, my uh, sister actually walked our little dog, like, to the street, and I wasn't actually at home. And uh, he got hit by a car, and he died right away. So I'm just really having a hard time digesting it, mm. and like have more anxiety coming. Have a hard time eating for the last two days. So obviously
1: I haven't
2: gone to work
1: today, and um, yeah, so just hmm. quite Yeah. So just so I make sure I heard you right, you said two days ago your your sister took your dog out and the dog got hit by a car and died. Yes. Yeah, okay. Hmm. I'm really sorry to hear that, and I can see it's been very hard for you, and um, it could take some time for you to recover from that. Yeah. Um, yeah. How, how long did you have the dog?
2: I think it was six years old dog. Um, it's a small puppy, it's a small dog, and then it's actually for my brother's girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Um, they moved us like from Montreal to here, and they were living with us. So they this week they were gone to Spain, but mm-hmm. right here when this happened. So, but uh, obviously my brother knows, and just sort of careless by my sister, not too quite because the dog is like. Keeps running around, right? Uh uh-huh. She didn't quite adjust uh, the leash. This leash can go on and off, you know, like, spend certain. Uh, so yeah, so we've been having them here on our house for like less than two years.
1: Okay. okay, so you've had the dog for about two years?
2: Yeah, and like all the memories, all the things. Sure. we to our home
1: and he just comes to the door Um, yeah death is a very hard hard thing to deal with um, and doesn't matter if it's a person or an animal it could still be very hard to deal with you know we're at a commercial break and I did want to just bring you on briefly and I'll talk to you some more after the break Okay, so just hang on the line and we'll talk after All right? sure, Okay. thank you you're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dulaqui we'll be right back Before the break, we were with the caller. Let's go back to him now. Radio Hamra, are you still there? Yes, I am. Okay. Um, so before the break, you shared that you, uh, your dog, that you had had for a couple of years, he died two days ago. I'm really sorry to hear that. Um, it must be very painful, and sometimes people think, well, if it's a dog, it's going to be a different process of grief than with a person, but we go through the same stages and experiences, might be different in some ways, but you have to be ready to go through a whole series of different things and feelings and emotions. On top of what I felt in the last segment, that you were angry with your sister, uh, feeling that she was not being responsible of taking care of the dog. Did did I was that accurate? Well,
2: yeah, I'm not sure if she knew she knew about the, the leash situation mm-hmm. where she's been expanded. And the dog is like, as soon as you hear the noise, it will just jump. It's just the dog, right? I not know where. Uh, apparently, the truck uh, was driving on the side, and it was, she was on the sidewalk with the dog. And then uh, the noise of the truck was actually uh, prompted the dog to act that way. So mm. He does, and I was aware of that. I knew yeah. like whenever I go, I actually don't bring it to a busy street. I just bring it around in front of our house mm-hmm. the same street where there is no traffic but she's gone by the
1: way uh, sorry to interrupt you just because of again the sound is not very good are you on speakerphone
2: yes i am do you mind do taking you it
1: a- yes please yeah because that's creating a little bit of an echo okay just kidding. uh okay. yes Okay, is that better a little bit. There's still some echo for some reason, but it's a little bit better. Um, but coming back to what you were saying, yes, you. I felt there was an anger, which is understandable. And anger is even one of the emotions people go through during grief, not necessarily at someone, but just at the whole experience and process of what they're going through. So we have to be ready for you to go through a lot of these things. And it seems like right now you're still um, obviously pretty down. Now, I want to talk more about it, but I'm wondering... Is there a specific question you had for me regarding what's going on? Uh, I don't know. My
2: uh, mom was a very, uh, like, she listened to this radio hammer all the time. Mm-hmm. I do listen as well. She told me to, she suggested me to call the session uh-huh. to talk to Dr. Yeah. I don't know if there's any suggestion or anything.
1: Well, you know, there's a few, a lot of things come to mind, um, and I'll share some of them with you. Uh, One is we have to understand, and I hope the people around you will understand, that you're going to be down, you're going to be sad for a while. You know, I'm glad your mom wants to help you and support you and wanted you to reach out to hopefully get some help, and that can be good. My concern would be, and I don't know what her intention was or her thought was, sometimes people, they see someone sad and they think, well, that sadness has to stop, so uh, go fix it or stop being sad. And we don't want the, I hope your family won't give you that type of approach and they'll give you the space to be down for a while. You know, it's, it's, it's a natural process. You're going to have to go through of being sad for a little bit. And we don't want to force you or try to push you forward of getting out of that sadness or to, as some people say, get over this. It might take you some time to feel like you're getting back to normal. And so that's something for you to understand and expect for yourself and also to let your family know if they're not giving you that feeling that it's going to be okay for you to be sad, and we have well, to well, give well, you that space. Yeah, yeah everyone,
2: because, like, uh, my mom and my sister are also been affected by this.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: obviously, so, my sister witnessed that. So yeah. They're, I don't know, they both are not doing good. And like I said, my brother and my his girlfriend is out of the town. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So everyone, so everyone's kind of sad. Yeah. It seems like you're all sad and, and hopefully you can be there for each other while you guys are sad about this. Um, But you know, it's, it's going to take some time. There's nothing, you know, it's been two days. So usually at this point, you still probably haven't fully even accepted what's happened. And that takes some time because it's so shocking, especially you weren't there when it happened It it can be hard to really believe and take it in. And that's one of the first things is, is, you know, that disbelief, denial. And you might even still be there, even though you feel the pain and sadness that you have, you're probably not fully there. So just, Be ready that you're going to go through a process, you can read up on on things online about grief and even though there's some people that will write about grief, we know that everyone goes through unique experience, so you're not going to necessarily experience what someone else does, even within your family, you guys have to be ready that maybe one of you will be in a good mood and the other one will still be sad. Someone might want to joke around because that's going to make them feel better, but the other person isn't ready to joke around. So that can make it tough too, because you're not going to all go through it together in the same way, but hopefully you can be a support for one another. Um, But we have to be ready to experience that pain. Another thing we always want to think about when we experience a loss, especially a death, is if there's any other deaths in our past that we experienced that maybe there's still some lingering feelings about or that we didn't get to fully grieve. Were there any deaths that you experienced in your family yourself that were very painful for you?
2: Well, well, we had a, like my life has been very uh, tough for the last, our family for sure, hmm. 13 years. Um, yeah, over 13 years now. Um, well, I lost my grandma at 11 years ago she got a heart attack, so I accepted it. She was living with us. But it's two years prior to that, our, my dad, yeah. uh, hes um, he was in Iran, obviously. We in here in Canada. He got uh, in a situation where we still have no... Um, uh, how do you do this? We have no... If you have no, um, how do you call that? Closure. You don't, you don't, oh, no closure? Mm-hmm.
1: So you don't know what happened to him exactly?
2: Yeah, that, hmm. that's been always happened in 2005, in July. Hmm.
1: So you mean you guys don't know what happened and even was the body never found or there was no body? Yeah,
2: exactly. Uh, he got
1: kidnapped
2: back hmm. and then wow. uh, they were looking for money. He was an engineer. He was working on a site, and then ever since it's gone without any. This, yeah. this wow. is always still
1: for me. Yeah, that that's that, that's that's horrible. I'm so sorry to hear that, and it's so horrible that things like that happen. Um, but of course, it, yeah, th- like you said, it's hard to get closure when you never really fully had any evidence of what happened, of really what's happened and this unfortunately we were talking about acceptance before it can make acceptance very difficult because there was really no confirmation of the death that you can be certain of so it can be very hard to want to fully let go of that possibility that he's still alive and that's that's very unfortunate that you have to go through that and that of course is going to make it very complicated and how to deal with the, lo- the i mean i don't know if you do you feel like you've accepted that he is gone your father
2: my family did but me I'm very um, I don't know I'm living my days I don't know what's happening the next day I just been through a lot and I mm. just going to work coming back is just making myself busy but I'm really inside of me it's really uh, I don't have any all my hope is gone taken away sort of hmm. but this thing when it happened it just makes you problem like more and more because you have sure. a body crunch across you it's just so understanding so breathing and just makes you feel really down inside
1: of course i mean you, you know well, It seems like when I asked you that question, I could feel that it's hard for you to fully accept or to really know what happened to your father and to accept to let him go. And that, of course, is going to be so hard to hold on to. Uh, And then what happened to your dog, it likely is going to trigger some of those feelings that you even have about your father, about death. Exactly. And so that's why, the reason why I asked that is that I can understand you being very sad right now about your your dog dying it's very sad thing but we have to be ready since you asked me just some advice and i wanted to tell you everything that came to my mind as things go forward if you start to realize that some of this might be your pain might be about your father not just the dog and that's something worth being aware of because i've seen people who of course pets can be so near and dear to people and they get sad but they'll have a death of a pet and you'll see an exaggerated response even they recognize it that they know it's not just about the dog or the bird or whatever it might be and that's why we want to look at what other previous losses are unprocessed and i think clearly in your case when it comes to your father how could you fully process that and the way you're describing yourself it sounds like you're incredibly depressed and are not really having a strong will to live or feeling good about life and that concerns me too so not just because of what happened to your dog, but just in general, I really hope if you're not already that you seek out therapy and maybe even consider medication because of uh, how depressed you might be right now.
2: Yeah, and obviously there's a lot of questions as my, my my family asked me about, like me not being in a relationship. It's, it's always uh, bringing uh, like, them concerned i'm already 32 yeah. i just i understand that it's just that my i'm so shattered inside hmm. i don't know if i can get some help and obviously work
1: yeah. how old are you
2: i'm 32, right 32. Now. okay
1: um but yeah i mean you know when you've experienced these type of losses i talked about it actually earlier in the show about having a fear of getting close Um, people who have experienced some really severe losses that feel almost traumatic. They especially can have a strong fear of getting close to someone else because there's this fear of losing the person again. So it, it feels like a big risk to let yourself get close to someone. So that might be something that gets in the way of you meeting someone and really creating a relationship, but also just you feeling so down and the way you're describing yourself, I can't imagine. And I know you're. it's two days after your your dog died, so you're more sad than usual, but still the way you are you describing yourself as shattered, it's not very likely you're going to be in the right mindset to even go out there and create a relationship or to get to know someone. So I think... You know, you said it was about 14 years ago. The last 14 years have been very difficult. Maybe in some ways you're still stuck as an 18-year-old in certain ways yeah, because of what you went was,
2: through. Exactly. When this happened, I was only 19. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I honestly uh, saw big twists in my life because not only, not only, like, I don't see my father. It sounds like selfish for me. Because, obviously, he had a lot of advice. He talked on the phone a lot. So that's maybe, but not only that, I just uh, feel his absence mm-hmm. and feel his, what happened to him. It just bothers me a lot, you know?
1: Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I...
2: I... Same thing with my dog. And when this happened, I just bothers me what he gone through during mm-hmm. that time. Just 100 trucks just really makes me... Um, like, I, don't know. I wish
1: I could do something for yeah I, I can understand that I'm I'm sure you know because it happened so close to you you wish you could have done something or you know these types of things it's always so sad but we think of the what ifs like what if I did this or what if my sister did that even though nothing you did especially was something wrong but those what ifs it's hard to avoid thinking about them but I think especially because with your father's case you could do absolutely nothing you were so powerless. There could be a feeling of, well, when I can do something, I, I can't let exactly. people get uh, hurt around me, or I have to protect the people around me, and that could be tough. So, uh,
2: this happened. Um, sorry, I not But when this happened back in the day, we were in a process of not able to leave the country, mm. and then, like he called us through the people who got him, and then asked asking if they want about. $250,000, I don't know, what it was a very, uh, like, like very strange situation, and mm. then we, we couldn't do it, and then I didn't know that as well, my family did, didn't tell me for the last, I found that after eight months, very wow. so persistent asking what's happening, how come my dad's not calling, mm. but yeah, it's just i still have no closure to that
1: yeah Uh, something happens it just makes me well i think that yeah the you know all those unanswered questions and not getting that closure and that ending to even what happened makes it very difficult you know we are at another commercial break and i don't want to let you uh go just yet so if you can just hang on the line let's talk a bit more okay okay all right thank you you're listening to in session with dr fadid Dulakwi. we'll be right back Before the break, we're with the caller. Let's go back to him now. Radio Hamra, you're still there? yes Okay. Um, so I'm, I'm glad you called in and we got to talk because clearly you're going through a very, very difficult time right now. Just losing your dog um, two days ago in a tragic accident that's, of course, devastating for anyone to go through. But I think what it's maybe making us realize is that there was a lot more pain underneath just the pain you're going through now that because you haven't been able to deal with it or because it's just so overwhelming is not allowing you to fully live your life today and hasn't been letting you live your life these past years and that's what i think is worth also looking at because you've had to deal with some horrible tragedies i mean your father's you know situation the way you described it just that's heartbreaking beyond belief and no one should have to go through that. And will you ever, ever get over it? I don't know. Getting over something like that is, is not something I would actually think you ever will fully get over it. But does that mean you can't live a, a life that you want? That's the part we want to get to. What kind of life can you live now, despite what's happened to you in the past? And that's, that's what I also want you to think about. How can you start to create that life for yourself? What do you want in your life and i know those are some pretty big questions but what comes to your mind when i say something like that
2: well i want to live a normal life like just like everybody else like, hmm. right now i'm not living a normal life i just go to work every day i have no intention of uh there's no uh motivation uh, coming home going to work that's it
1: yeah that's what really concerns my family my mom's always yeah um, you know in hearing you talk that i almost hesitate to say this but i will but it's almost like you're dead while you're still living
2: yeah that's true
1: and that's the that's the part is yes you've had to deal with these deaths but it's up to you now to make sure you can live your life and figure out how to make that happen. And I don't think it's going to be possible without getting a lot of help. You're going to need and you deserve a lot of help right now.
2: Yeah, I have seen like therapists on like a, a few, like um few, like weeks. Uh, I have seen like like. Uh, uh, Psychiatrist uh, two years ago to overcome my anxiety mm-hmm. because I had anxiety and they prescribed uh, uh, medicine for it. Um, uh, my anxiety is definitely lower, but my feelings, I don't know, I don't know, so I always have a hard time describing myself. Mm-hmm. So, I'm he- not saying go ahead before even my dad's situation i had problems admitting mm-hmm. that i always have like a problem with my anxiety but after that happened that's probably like i feel like very helpless mm. so, um,
1: yeah well that yeah that's you know we all have things that we're dealing with and there can be underlying issues and then Uh, something traumatic and tragic like that happens, of course, it's going to trigger things and make them even worse. So you recognize there's things you're dealing with even before the situation with your father, but they've gotten much worse afterwards. And I really do feel like you, you know, as hard as it might be, accepting that your father is not coming back, And fully internalizing that is probably something very painful, but something that you might have to go through to really let yourself live on. You won't get over it, but you can move on with your life. But I think you're still stuck with that.
2: Exactly. I'm really stuck with that. I still have dreams of my father. Hmm. Coming back, I've seen him. And everything is good, and the next morning I wake up and I know it's all dreams,
1: not reality. Gosh, that's that's so painful. You know, dreams are, uh, So there can be so much depth and meaning to them, obviously. And also, I always find it interesting because sometimes we talk about good dreams and bad dreams, and usually we think of a good dream as one that good things are happening, and bad dreams are one where bad things happen. But in some ways it's reversed because when you wake up from one of those good dreams and realize that reality is different from what you saw there, it can actually be so much more painful and the opposite, when you're having a bad dream but you wake up and realize it's not true, you feel actually so good. So I can see how those dreams can be so bittersweet that when you see him in your dream, it can feel so wonderful, but then waking up and facing the reality, it can be even more painful than if you didn't see him in the dream. Yeah. So... We can see that you are very preoccupied with with that whole situation, and and when you talk, I can hear at some points you are saying in a way you've accepted the reality being he's not here, but it still seems like you're not one hundred percent at that point.
2: No. Yeah. Unfortunately.
1: How how is the does the rest of your family seem to accept it more?
2: Yeah, they're having probably stronger emotions. My brother. Yeah, he was uh he accepted it, yeah, I, I know for a fact. He uh, the first two years I remember he was at the university and then he totally uh not didn't like uh, did a horrible job on his studying. Mm-hmm. to to a point where he was expelled from university and then after two years he stuck with it and then he gone and finished and he got his bachelor degree. Yeah. Um you know, right now he's
1: working on something else, but yeah, he is definitely a very, uh, logical person. I'm very emotional, person. Mm-hmm. yeah, and being you know you even him being a logical person, of course he's also emotional because he's a human being. And you feeling you're more emotional, you still have the logical side, and it doesn't mean that you have to only be emotional or you have to stay stuck in those feelings, but maybe, maybe it was slightly easier for him. That could be possible. Um, But it seems like your family, you think they've accepted it. It just, we can understand how painful it must be to even think of fully accepting it. I can understand that even though at some level you've accepted it to really believe that 100%, I could see how that's something that maybe you don't want to do. You don't want to give up that hope, or that belief because of course it's your father how could you want to just let yeah. go of that
2: you yeah. know to the point of, let's say two days ago where everything was working very very well it was going to work coming back no problem anything i was thinking maybe i can leave this life yeah but now i just have zero hope leaving this life just yeah.
1: you mean you mean after your dog died
2: yeah yeah
1: well, give yourself some time. Right now, you are in a, you know, a fragile state. You were already not doing so well. Maybe you're doing well a few days ago, which is good. But you said you felt you were shattered even before. But of course, you just lost your dog who was a companion, a feeling of comfort. You have all the memories, the connection. You're going you're gonna to go through a process. So it's, I don't want you to feel rushed when I even bring up living your life and, and, and trying to accept things that you have to do it immediately. Uh, Give yourself some time, and even it's possible going through the process of grieving your dog will help you in grieving your father, too, and seeing going through those steps and going through those motions. So it might even help you afterwards, but don't rush it. You're going to be down for a while. You don't have to do everything all at once, but we do want to make sure you try to take the steps in the direction of giving yourself your life back, which I think right now you don't fully have. And I know you mentioned some things about therapy. and you know, I wasn't sh- quite sure if you were saying you went every few weeks or if you went a few times. But what I would recommend is when you can, um, as soon as you can, you you start going regularly every week. Make it a priority. And seeing a psychiatrist and reevaluating if you're on any medication, what you're taking and what you can take. Because you're in a really low place. And the medication is never going to be the full solution it's not going to solve the problem, but it can sometimes help you get out of the really low place to then take the steps to help yourself even more. But I hope you'll take this seriously. You know, what has happened to you is unbelievably tragic, and I it, it breaks my heart that you had to go through that or anyone has to go through something like that, losing a parent in and, and that kind of circumstance where you don't know and there's a kidnapping and that kind of communication is just beyond tragic and traumatic. But that has happened and all you can do now is make the rest of your life what you can make of it based on what this reality is that you have dealt with. And part of it will be is accepting it as the reality will be the first step because since you are still unable to fully accept it, which again, it's, it's incredibly hard to do so, but since you haven't fully accepted it, in some ways you're still stuck at 19. You haven't been able to come out of that. And it's keeping you there and letting go. Doesn't mean you let go of your father or you let go of your love for him, or you let go of wanting him to be here. Of course, you're always going to want him to be here. And sometimes people feel that if they let go, it's somehow, um, minimizing the person or their relationship or their love for them. It's none of those things. It's allowing yourself to always love him, but letting go of him so that you can live your life and love yourself. And i'm sure you would think your father would want that for you too to live your life the best that you can to be the happiest you can be to have the most fulfilled life you can have so i want to make that point also because sometimes people have that feeling that if they let go somehow somehow it's minimizing the person or if they stop crying that means they don't care anymore and it's none of those things you can let go of the person being alive but you don't let go of their love and who they were and who they are to you and you can live your life both of those things can happen at the same time so it's going to be a process and right now going through what you're going through with the loss of your dog there's too much probably going on to focus too much on your dad i would say you don't have to focus there too much now but pretty soon you ready to go through what will likely be a difficult process facing some very raw and intense feelings but one that when you come out of it on the other side you'll be able to live a very different life and maybe you can put those shattered pieces you talked about feeling shattered you can put those pieces back together maybe there will always be that piece missing which is your dad that piece might always be gone but it doesn't mean you can't live a life or a better life, or live a good life. All of those things are so possible for you. Yep. Do you feel that you're ready for that challenge?
2: Obviously, very low self-esteem hmm. person. So I want to work hard to get my back to a normal me
1: again. But mm-hmm. well, I mean, I yeah, it's 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 going to be tough. I hope even if you have, you're saying you feel there's a low self-esteem, you have at least some amount of hope left and belief in yourself, because you're much stronger and much more than you've allowed yourself or things have allowed you to be right now there's so much more of you to express and so much more for you to live and you've been held back by this so you're much stronger than what you've you've been able to show and it's going to be up to you to give yourself that chance and it's going to take some time and there's it's going to be a bumpy road but don't give up i like i said definitely go to therapy go see a psychiatrist Get the support you need, and don't think that because these last 13, 14 years have been a certain way, the next 60, 70 have to be that way too. It doesn't have to be. And you can make that change. Okay. I really appreciate you calling in and, and talking about this. Of course, just losing your dog two days ago, that itself is very difficult but then bringing up what you and your family went through with your father is incredibly painful and i appreciate you sharing your story with me and with everyone listening and i really wish you the best and hope you can try to pick up those pieces again and keep trying for yourself
2: thank you doctor i really appreciate your time it's
1: it's been my pleasure i'm really happy i got to talk to you again wish you the best and if you want i would love to hear from you sometime soon let me know how you're doing okay
2: okay great thank you so much
1: take care have a great day best all the best to you and your family
2: okay
1: thank you so much thank you all right we've reached the end of today's show thank you so much to that caller and to all callers who called in today i feel very lucky to get to talk to each and every one of you thank you to raman here in the studio you've been listening to in session with dr fatty have a wonderful day